Easter is next week, and so I encourage you to be praying for and inviting people to come and to join you either at our Easter egg hunt on Saturday morning or at one of our services next Sunday morning where they will hear the gospel and how God can make them a new creation. This morning, it is our privilege to have uh, Marie Menard with us. She is well known to this congregation, and she serves as a vice president with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, where she helps with leadership development as well as their uh, discipleship training schools, and so her job really involves helping teach people to be disciples of Christ and equip them for the mission of God in the world, and so she is here to share with us this morning not only what God is doing in uh, her life and ministry, but also from God's Word, and so I would just invite you this morning to help me to welcome uh, back to Bethany Assembly of God, Marie Menard. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Wow, my heart is so full. (laughs) It's so wonderful to be home again here with Bethany Assembly of God, with all of you, and here in the Agawam area. So for those of you that may not know me, um, I grew up in West Springfield. And about 50 years ago, I met Jesus, believe it or not, through Jesus Christ Superstar. I was at the University of Massachusetts, I was working at a factory on Main Union Street, I think, in, uh, in West Springfield, um, in the vacation times and on the weekends. And uh, because of Jesus Christ Superstar, somehow I um, had this question in my heart, Jesus, who are you? I come from a family that was brought up Irish Catholic. I went to uh, a Catholic grammar school in West Springfield, but my family really was full of trouble. Uh, My parents ended up divorcing. My mother left us in our teenage years, and that was unusual uh, 50, 60 years ago. And, And it was in that time when I was studying at the University of Massachusetts, my heart was just quickened by the Holy Spirit. And I began to ask the question, Jesus, who are you? And at that time, I ran into a a friend from high school. Her name was Lynn Norton, but her family came to church here at Bethany. And to make a very long story short, I ended up coming to Bethany at the old church in Springfield. And I can remember, as I worship with you this morning, the rich times of God's presence as he's here with us this morning. And I can remember, especially on a Sunday night, after the service was dismissed, most of us never left, and we just came forward and continued in worship, and it was in those moments that I just surrendered my heart. I was studying to be a veterinarian. My father was so, so proud of me. I can remember the day I came home and I said, hey, Dad, I'm going to change colleges I'm no longer going to be a veterinary major. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to go to school out in Wheaton. I mean, out in the Chicago area. It's called Wheaton College. You know, and and he said to me, um, well, okay, if you want to study the Bible. But he says, what will you be able to do for a job when you finish? (laughs) You know, and I said, Dad, I have no idea what women are allowed to do. But I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to study his word. 
And uh, thankfully, the church has been encouraging of of me uh, for the last 40 years in my journey to serve Jesus. And I'm, I'm just so, so grateful. Now, my first year or so when I was at Wheaton College... Um, My dream was to study the Bible so I was able to teach it more accurately than Jesus Christ Superstar, and that perhaps I could come home here to the Agawam area, and maybe I'd be able to, like, teach in a youth group or something, (laughs) yeah. And so um, little did I anticipate the future and the ministry that God would open up to me. After about seven years of being at Wheaton College, so I continued into their graduate studies program, and I have a New Testament theology degree, I signed up to uh, do a short-term mission trip, and the college connected me to Youth with a Mission in Amsterdam. And after three days of being in Amsterdam, living on a houseboat that housed about 40 people, About 20 of us were followers of Jesus. About 20 had just become Christians off the streets of Amsterdam or off the streets of India or Nepal. This is back in the 70s and early 80s when there were so many Westerners that were seeking for some kind of spiritual experience and they met Jesus. And this ministry in Amsterdam was a discipling community. And I remember being there on that houseboat, and after three days, I ripped up my return ticket to the United States, and I never left, (laughs) believe it or not. And over the course of the years, I served with our discipleship training school in Amsterdam, and that is a five-month program where we have staff and students that come together for about three months or 12 weeks, we are embedded in a missionary community. So there's a community in Amsterdam that are engaging in God's missionary call. And on a weekly basis, we gather with that community, these young people, and we worship God, we do intercession, we do evangelism on the streets, we function as a community according to the one another passages, and, uh, and in that context, they are receiving teaching from the Word of God about 12 to 15 hours a week. And after three months, they're put into outreach teams and are sent out to various places around the world. And uh, that's the ministry that I sort of cut my teeth on as a a a missionary with Youth with a Mission, and 40 years later, I oversee that ministry worldwide. We have over um, 650 locations that run that kind of school. Uh, We have run the school in this last decade in over 92 different languages, if you can imagine. And that's the language that's spoken from the front, That doesn't even include the mother tongue of those that are coming, yeah? And uh, um, it has just been a dream come true. I I am 67 years old, 
And so as I'm interacting with different church friends, with my family that live all around the Agawam area, they ask me the question, are you going to retire? And I'm like, why would I retire, (laughs) right? Like I am living the dream. And at this stage of my life, with the relationships and the network that I have throughout the world, my aim and my hope is to continue to just serve Jesus in any capacity, just in any capacity to further his kingdom work so that every tribe and every tongue have an opportunity to come to know him. And Bethany... You are my family. You are the context in which I have grown up in Jesus. And I am so, so grateful, so grateful for you. Now, excuse me just a sec. As I age, things don't work so well anymore. So my hands are one of those things. (laughs) Okay, so... um, so anyway, thank you. I'm, I, I know it's been a while since I've been with you. Uh, I had hoped to be here even a year ago. And because of COVID, there's so many things shut down in South Africa, including the government services that renew visas. And so instead of waiting for three months for a renewed visa, I had to wait 13 months. So anyway, finally, I'm, I'm back in your midst. <clears throat> okay, so this morning, I have this sense in my heart um, that Jesus is really present in our midst. I so appreciated the, the worship team and the leadership this morning. I so appreciated Pastor Stephen's word that reminds me of where we are in the story of God that we are entering into Holy Week, right? And of course, this is, this is Palm Sunday. And so as I prayed for what I might share this morning, I think if I could put it in a simple statement, I feel there's an invitation from the Lord, right? By his Holy Spirit, right? To become present to Jesus, who's present to us. Yeah, it is so easy to walk out these doors, right? Walk out of a rich time of fellowship, a rich time of worship, uh, to be led by those that are anointed, and to come into that awareness that we are not alone, right? There is someone who is with us, and his name is Jesus, Right? And by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, yeah, this Holy Spirit continually draws us to him, reminds us of him. Yeah? It is this Holy Spirit who is speaking to our spirits and waking us up to the reality that you and I are in fact children of God together as brothers and sisters. And yet when we walk out that door, It's so easy to lose that awareness. It's so easy to lose that distraction. You know, being one of the global leaders of Youth with a Mission, I have an opportunity to minister on every continent. 
And I love uh, the different cultures of the world and the different ways the body of Christ gathers and worships. And one of my favorite places to be in the world is in the Pacific Islands. And when the Pacific Islanders greet one another, now this is a cultural practice that even people that don't know Jesus do, okay? It's a cultural practice, but it becomes even more meaningful for those that are brothers and sisters in Jesus, yeah? And so what they'll do, we'll come into some kind of gathering, some kind of leadership meeting, um, some kind of function. It doesn't really matter what the purpose of the meeting is. But if it's the first time they're greeting one another, they will stand face to face, nose to nose, gaze into one another's eyes, and they will breathe. Inhale exhale. And in that moment, they're, they're becoming present. They're just becoming present one to another. Yeah. And those that follow Jesus, they're reminding one another that there is one who is present to us, right? And his name is Jesus. You know, in a mission agency, but this is true for all of us that are followers of Jesus, one of the most important passages is Matthew chapter 28. And this is at the time of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, right? Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he leaves with this amazing promise. I am with you always. I'm with you always. One of the things that I do in Youth with a Mission is I run a master's degree for Christian formation and discipleship. And uh, this is a degree run by our university, which is embedded in our missionary uh, campuses all over the world. And one of the authors that I have truly appreciated um, over the years is a man named Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard makes this point. So he comments on this this phenomena that has happened over the last few decades of asking the question, what would Jesus do? Right? So what would Jesus do? And that's often something that is uh, sort of communicated, especially to young followers of Jesus. And you know what? If you have the presence of mind in a circumstance to stop and ask the question, what would Jesus do? That might be helpful. You know what I mean? But what typically goes on in a moment like that is somehow you're perhaps reflecting back to a gospel story and somehow trying to imagine what would Jesus do if he was in your shoes. And it's very much kind of a cognitive, mental kind of process. Could be helpful, maybe not, 
right? Because so often when we're in a situation, we are responding so quickly that you don't even have the presence of mind to even ask. So some others in the discipleship field would say, maybe a better question is to ask, what would Jesus do if he were me? Right? If he had my mother or my spouse or my boss or my neighbors. Or, and again, if you have the presence of mind to do that, you know, okay, okay. But, you know, it's really, I find, as I walk alongside people, it's not very helpful. So Dallas says, actually, the best question to ask, right, is to actually live in this awareness that Jesus is actually present to us by his Holy Spirit, that he is actually with us, yeah? And so in, in you cultivate that kind of awareness so when you're in a situation, you say, Jesus, what shall we do here? What shall we do here? Now, my main text this morning is from the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, 15, and 16. And first, let me give you a little bit of the background to the book of Hebrews. Right? Hebrews is written to a church, most of which have a Jewish background. And they came to faith in Jesus. And it appears as if this church came to faith uh, about 10 years before this uh, book was written. And these were people that were on fire for Jesus. They made sacrifices to Jesus. They gathered no matter what the circumstances were. And the person who is writing this book, it's not really a letter, It's very different than the letters of Paul or Peter or others. It's more like a sermon. Like, it's it's more like a message. And it's very clear, the, the person who wrote this, and we don't really know. Some say Barnabas, some say Apollos. We don't really know who wrote it. But whoever wrote it, they pastored these people. They walked with these people. They prayed for these people. And they are watching these people facing circumstances around them where the the Roman government and other kinds of forces are putting pressure on them. They're facing persecution for their faith in Jesus. And these people that have walked with Jesus for more than 10 years are actually tempted to walk away. They're actually tempted to walk away. And so this whole book is rich. It flows out of a pastor's heart. It has the, it, it has the um, what's the word I want to say? The, the urgency of a man of prayer and perhaps a team who's with him. You know, and in the context of his message or his sermon, he reminds them of this truth, right? In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. He says, listen, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, right? And faith is not just a mental assent to a doctrine we believe, right? Faith is an act of trust, right? Faith comes from the heart, 
right? And so this preacher is, is through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, inviting them to fix their eyes on Jesus. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, right? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us trust in him, moment by moment. He goes on to say, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted like us in every way, right? Yet without sin. We don't have a high priest, right, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, right? Let's say it positively. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And finally, this pastor from his heart says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace in times of need. I'm going to come back to this passage when I finish uh, my message this morning, but there's three words that I want you to hang on to. Ascended, empathize, and approach. Ascended, empathize, and approach. Now, this is the beginning of Holy Week. And this is a rich time in the story of God where we have an invitation by the Holy Spirit to spend some time in Scripture. And I encourage you to do it. Right? You will have amazing services within these four walls. You will be led by the worship team and others. And your spirit will be fed. But carry that outside these walls. I have worked with missionaries, people that have served Jesus on the field for 40 years, 50 years, 30 years, 20 years. You know, I primarily immerse myself in the world of the 20 and 30-year-olds, but I do have responsibilities for our missionary staff around the world. And I'm, it is so easy to do the things of God without God. It's just so easy to rely on our gifts, our strengths, our past moments when anointing has flowed. It's just so easy, right? And so there's an invitation, I think, from the Holy Spirit to immerse yourself in the gospel story and remind, and this is an invitation for me too, let us be reminded of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and moving with his disciples toward that Last Supper. Yeah, and in that, in that Last Supper um, account, what we know is that because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, right, the powers that be, especially in the Jewish nation, are out to kill him. And not just him, his followers. And so there's much much turmoil outside uh, the city walls. 
And Jesus takes the 12 disciples and, and gathers them in a room for just a very intimate conversation. Yeah. Now, I just came from Kona, Hawaii, where our founders are um, living, Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. We have a large campus there. And Lauren is 87 years old. He is a global recognized leader in world missions. Mission agencies around the world recognize him, honor him. He is a, um, how could I say, he is a, or was a companion with people like Billy Graham and others. Yeah. It's been an honor for me to uh, not only be associated with Bethany and the Assembly of God, it's been an honor to work with Lauren and Darlene Cunningham for these 40 years. Their roots are Assembly of God. And uh, while I was in Kona, Hawaii, with 20 of our global leaders, Lauren was diagnosed with uh, four-stage cancer. And his body is full of it. His lungs, his lymph nodes, his bones, completely um, saturated. He was, uh, we, we were sitting with him in his living room, along with his wife, Darlene, just imagine this. These are 20 of the, of the global leaders from around the world. And we're sitting in their home. And uh, we are learning that our founder, our leader, and for some, somebody who's like a father figure, is basically sitting there and saying to us something like this. I'm going away soon. <laughs> I'm going away soon. And the amount of emotion that you feel, the sense of responsibility that's about to fall upon you, the, um, what can I say? The, uh, the, the reality that you have 20 global leaders and when we're not living a surrendered life, aware of the presence of Jesus in our midst, the next thing you know, you've got people jockeying for position, <laughs> wondering, you know, who's, who's going to be center stage? Can you imagine? We've got people that are like my age, and then we've got some 40 and 50 years old. And I can remember day after day, we spent about three to four hours a day with Lauren, it was, it was the most anointed and precious time I think I've ever had. And yet, my heart was the most um, like in the midst of a storm. And I say that because I want us for the last few minutes to step in the shoes of Peter. Right? We're just going to step in the shoes of Peter. And what we see in that Last Supper message that Peter, John, and the others are sitting with Jesus. And Jesus is saying something like this, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And he's got a great message. He says, you know, it's better for you that I go. You know, if I go, the Father and I will send to you the precious Holy Spirit. Right? But of course, Peter and the others, all they can hear is he's leaving. 
right? And then somewhere in there, Jesus says something about someone here is going to betray you, or betray me, excuse me. Now, Peter and John have a long history together, right? John and James, their father is the Zebedee, and they own a fishing business. They're wealthy. They're well-connected in Jerusalem. Peter's just one of the employees, right? John is younger, right? Peter's older. And uh, when Jesus draws three aside, it's Peter, James, and John, right? And in this Last Supper account, John is the one that's near Jesus, And John is the one who apparently might know who Jesus thinks is going to betray him. And so after Jesus says, someone will betray me, Peter says to John, ask him, ask him, right? And then Jesus says something publicly to the 12. And then Peter says very boldly, they can all betray you, but I won't, right? I will die for you right? And Jesus in that moment, I think, looks Peter in the eyes, and he says something like, um, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, I'm wondering, if I'm Peter, why didn't I take that in, right? Am I too preoccupied with John, who's sitting close to Jesus, Am I too anxious, not really anxious, but am I revved up, ready, right, to to meet the moment, right? Am, Am I concerned about being recognized or whatever it is that might be going in his heart? But I'm thinking if I'm in a room and Jesus looks me in the eyes and says, you're about to betray me three times, I'm thinking I'd ask a question, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't. And you move from that room, and you go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know the story there, but spend some time in the story this week, right? And hear the invitation of Jesus. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, Jesus invites those that were with him, and most likely it's Peter, James, and John, to pray with him, to wait, right? And you know the story. They fall asleep. And Jesus is agonizing in prayer, and he goes over to Peter, and he says, especially Peter, can you not wait? You know, pray with me so that temptation will not befall you. And I'm thinking, if I'm Peter, I mean, I know it was a long Last Supper meal. It went on and on and on and on, you know. And I know we're living in these tumultual times and the the trauma that's going on around and the threat of, you know, the arrest or even death, all of that is in the context. But still, I'm wondering if Jesus is physically present and invites me to wait and pray with him like I'd respond. Would you respond? Right? No, but Peter doesn't. He doesn't. And when the the representatives of the Sanhedrin finally come in and arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? It's like he wakes up from some kind of dream and he chops off, you know, this representative of the high priest's ear, right? And then what does Jesus do, right? He says, no, Peter. He corrects him in front of everybody and heals the guy's ear. And I'm thinking, if I'm Peter, my gosh, what is going on in my heart, right? What's going on, right? The next scene, Jesus is arrested, 
And what you see, especially from the account of John, is John is able to go with Jesus into the inner court because John's connected. John's family knows the high priest. Peter's standing at the door. He can't even get in, right? And finally, John comes and tells some girl to open the door, and Peter's allowed to come into at least the outer courtyard. And he's by a fire, and the fire's a little bit significant here, so he's warming himself by the fire. And three times he's asked, you're one of them. You know him. You guys know the story, right? And three times he says, I do not know him. And I'm like, how does that happen? That we get so immersed in life circumstances that we can live as if he's not with us or present to us. Right? How can that, how, how can that happen? Okay, I'll come back to that as I conclude. So um, the rooster crows. And Peter weeps. He weeps, right? He just weeps, right? Jesus is crucified, right? He, he died, was buried, resurrected, and the women come to the tomb. And they run back to tell Peter and the others that Jesus is risen. And actually, Peter, um, Jesus especially mentions to the women, tell Peter, tell Peter. And there's this invitation that threads through this story that Jesus says, once I'm resurrected, I'll meet you in Galilee. And so I just want to finish with the story in Galilee. When you read all four gospel accounts, it's clear that there were some resurrection appearances in Jerusalem. But they were short, And one very specific one is when Jesus is convincing Thomas that he has been resurrected. But remember, the political environment in Jerusalem is very hot. And so Jesus is not lingering there, right? And so where he goes is to the shores of Galilee, which are north outside of the political sphere. And he is sitting on a shore, and he has got a fire going, and he's preparing breakfast And Peter and John and a few others are out in a fishing boat. They don't see him yet. They're fishing. They get to morning, they catch nothing. They catch nothing. And uh, Jesus then stands at the shore and speaks to them and says, put your nets on the other side. Now this is also interesting to me. Peter doesn't hear or recognize Jesus. John does. And John says, it's the Lord. And Peter is so excited. He puts on his clothes and he jumps in the water. That's a little bit, you know, not quite sure what's going on there. But, right, and he runs to Jesus. Now, with the account that we have of the gospel stories, we do not have a moment until now when Peter is boldly approaching the throne of grace. And he's running to him. The disappointment, the confusion, the out-and-out denials that he has engaged in, none of that has somehow washed Peter in so much shame that he cannot 
run toward Jesus and gaze into his eyes when he has an opportunity. We don't know how many moments they had alone because the the boat's coming in. And Jesus takes the time to sit with them by a fire. And I just imagine Peter sitting by that fire with Jesus, sharing the bread and sharing the fish and just sharing the fellowship. I just wonder how his heart is warming. I just wonder how it is that those past memories around a fire where he denied Jesus are being healed by these present experiences of being with Jesus in that moment. And after a period of time, right, Jesus looks into the eyes of Peter in front of them all, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know the story, right? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I think face to face, eye to eye. Jesus is gazing upon Peter. Even in that moment when Jesus somehow makes Peter aware how he might die, that he would be led, others will clothe him, right? It's an indication that Peter would have a horrific death. And tradition tells us he died by crucifixion, perhaps hung upside down, yeah? Even in that moment, Peter says, what about that guy? Like, what about John? How's he going to die? He's still comparing himself, right? And Jesus says, don't worry about him, (laughs) right? Peter, you follow me. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Peter lived before the ascension of Jesus. All I'm telling you right now is before Jesus made a place for us in the presence of the Father, and the Father and Jesus sent this precious gift of Holy Spirit, right? And you and I are the recipients of that Holy Spirit. And this Easter season, as you walk through this Holy Week, into the 40 days until ascension and finally the celebration of Pentecost, please be aware that we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven and made a place for us in the presence of Father God, right? And the Father and he have sent us this precious gift of Holy Spirit, Jesus is like a living fountain, he says in John chapter 7. And if you are thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. Streams of living water will flow from me. Right? Streams of living water. We have a high priest who has ascended into heaven. And we have one who is able to empathize with our story. He's able to empathize with our weakness. He is present to us, even as we walk outside these doors, even as we walk into our family context, right? Even as we wake up on Monday morning and you face whatever you face on a Monday, right? Jesus is present to us. And the question is, are we hearing the draw of the voice of the Holy Spirit to approach Jesus, 
Now, that doesn't mean go find him somewhere. If you have put your trust in Jesus, he's present. And so allow yourself to become fully present to him with your questions, your disappointments, your sorrows, your concerns, with your confession, with your repentance. We can approach him boldly because there is mercy and there is grace in our time of need. Thank you, Maureen. Before we close today, we want to respond to what we've heard from the good news of Jesus from the gospel. And we want to we allow ourselves to be present to the Lord. And, and that's very simple. Maureen has made it very clear today how we can do that. Jesus is present. Sometimes we, we know that there are moments and services and things where we sense his presence more than others. But in every time when the church gathers, the New Testament is clear, Jesus is present. He's also present in your life because the Holy Spirit lives in you if you are indeed a child of God and have given your life to Christ. He's present. So it's not a question of, is Jesus present today? The question we've been asked is, will I approach? Am I present to him? And this morning, if you'd say, man, my life is dry and and I just need to be present to Jesus, there's something in my life that has kept me at arm's length because I have refused to confess, repent, and return to Christ. And so I've been, I haven't been willing to approach him because I've been afraid or I've been ashamed. Or there's a circumstance that has kept me so distracted that I haven't been present with him. And you just want to say this morning, I want to be present with Jesus. There's not going to be anything super fancy about this except to say, right now, if you want to come and find a place to be present with Jesus, come make a place and be present with Jesus. Come and find a place at the front and just kneel or stand and say, Lord, I know you're present here. I want to be present to you. If that's you and you want to just spend a few moments being present with Jesus, would you even come right now and just just make a place to be present with Christ? And as you're coming, if there are those here and you don't yet know Christ as your Savior, you don't yet have a relationship with God through Jesus, Jesus is present this morning. And he's present for you in a very specific and a very special way. And that's this, that if you don't have a relationship with him, he wants to begin that today. The scripture tells us this, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that he might save the world, that God might save the world through him. And this morning, if you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus that assures you of salvation and you don't know the presence of God in your life by his Holy Spirit, Jesus is present today to make that available to you. And that happens as you believe in Christ, that you, as Maureen put it, trust him, that you say, I believe that he died that he rose. I believe that he's Lord. And so I'm going to submit my life and trust to Jesus as Lord and Savior and trust him to forgive my sin and to change my life and to guide my future. I'm going to give him those things. I'm going to trust him to forgive my past, to make me a new creation and to guide my future, that he'll secure me, that he'll save me. If that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus today, but you want to begin that. You want to say, I I need to know the presence of Jesus in my life. I've heard about that presence today. 
but I need to run to the throne of grace maybe for the first time today and I need to make myself present to him he's here to save you if you will confess and believe that he's Lord so if that's you you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus but you want to begin that this morning would you just lift up your hand quickly so that we can pray with you and believe God to do that work in your life today is there anybody like that you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus you don't know his presence in your life you say I want to be present to Christ today anybody like that he's here for you so you don't have to walk out wondering if there's something that will keep you away or there's something too difficult in your life something too egregious some sin too big that's not he's here for you will you respond to him is there anyone like that we're going to close in prayer and as we close I'm going to ask you to do this today that you would leave just with, a, with an attitude of respect for those who may want to respond. And I want to give that call one more time. If when I pray, you want to come and just be present to Christ and spend some time seeking him and saying, Jesus, here I am. I know you're here. Here I am. Then I'm going to invite you to come and to find a place to pray. We have prayer partners, pastors who'd be happy to pray with you. But let's spend a moment and let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us, especially during these next few days when we're going to celebrate his death and resurrection, to be present to him. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the word of God this morning. What a powerful realization, Lord, that you're present with us. And that so often what keeps us from experiencing that presence isn't because we haven't got just the right atmosphere or we haven't got just the right songs or just the right message or something like that. That so often, Lord, what keeps us from experiencing your presence like we say we want to is actually us. That we're distracted by so many things and we're kept at bay not because you want us to be kept at bay but because we keep ourselves at bay and Lord today we thank you that we have been reminded that the door stands open and that the way was made and that the invitation is standing and ongoing and that we have a great high priest who has entered in to heavenly places so that we can approach the throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. And today, Lord, we want to confirm that we're present to you. Jesus, we're present today. We draw our hearts and our minds to you. We pray for forgiveness for those moments where we're so distracted by what's going on around us, where we're so afraid of our own failures or we're so caught up worrying about what someone else is doing and how they might look better than us or they might look like they're closer to you than us. And we're so concerned about those things or we're so worried about doing your work that we forget that there's an invitation to come and to be present in you and with you. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not withdraw your presence from us, but it stands open. And we ask, Lord, that today that you would help us to respond. As you speak to us, Holy Spirit, help us to respond. We love you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.